Well, it's always a good thing when you kind of run out of some things with uh, when you do communion, so it's so good to have you here today. Uh, one of the things I was going to mention earlier, we have these sheets. I blew them these up. Anthony always does these. And on the back, he's already got some uh, coloring sheets. And I, and I know Alan always likes to color. So this is the first we're talking about today. So there's a coloring sheet for you to do that sometime a little bit later today. Now, you know, there are certain occupations... Uh, listed in the Bible that we associate with certain Bible characters. And to say a particular name kind of brings an immediate occupation to mind. So we're going to start out with a little quiz. We're going to see how much you know. I'm going to name the person in the Bible. You tell me what their occupation was. Abraham. Okay, shepherd, herdsman. Uh, David. Shepherd, and I heard king. Okay, Nehemiah. Okay, builder of the wall, but he had another cupbearer, a cupbearer to the king, right. Isaiah. Who? Author. Okay, he was an author. He was also a prophet. Uh, Peter. Fisherman. Herod. King. Esther. Queen. Uh, Matthew. Tax collector. Everybody knew that one. Uh, Caiaphas, high priest. Uh, Joseph in the New Testament. Carpenter. Uh, Paul. Tent maker. Lydia. Maker of purple cloth. But I think the strangest one of all is Rahab. Mention her name, and anybody who knows much about the Bible immediately knows one occupation and only one occupation that comes to mind. In fact, it's in Hebrews chapter 11, that Hall of Fame chapter, verse 31. It says, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, or harlot, whichever word you want to use, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. Now, the Bible makes absolutely no bones whatsoever about Rahab's occupation, if you want to call it that, and makes no attempt at all to cover it up. In fact, the very first time you meet her, if you've got Bibles in Joshua chapter 2, verse 1, she is called a harlot or a prostitute named Rahab. And then in Joshua 6, 17, and then again in chapter 6, verse 25, she's called Rahab the prostitute or harlot one more time. Now, it's, it's not enough because twice in the New Testament, she also gets a mention in Hebrews chapter 11, 31. I've already read that to you. By faith, the prostitute or the, the harlot Rahab. And if you jump into James, the brother of Jesus' book in chapter 2, she's called also Rahab the prostitute. Now, I don't know about you, but if I have some bad name hooked up to my name, you know, buried up whatever, once it would be enough for me to get a reference in the Bible. But the New Testament occupation is mentioned too. That's five times. And, you know, when we think about prostitute, I think we almost always think of Rahab in the Bible. Now, there are a lot of different synonyms we could probably use. You've heard them before. Hooker, uh, harlot, street walker, call girl. It would go on and on. A lot of them far too graphic to mention in mixed company. Um, but they all paint the same sad picture of this woman called Rahab, 
who, for whatever reason, chose an occupation that meant selling her body to men. Now, I can imagine uh, Rahab at some point in her life thinking, this is all I got, this is all I can do, this is all I will ever be. But God always has different ideas, particularly when we are kind of stuck in a place where we shouldn't be. God always has a way of turning that around to put us where he would like to have us be. And he turns shame into glory in one shining moment. Now, the biblical record doesn't give us a whole lot of details about Rahab. We just know that she lived in Jericho and she lived near or on one of the walls. We talked about that last week. But she was evidently well known to the men of the city, one would guess. And uh, because the two spies that Joshua sent in to scout out what was going on found her pretty quick. We also know that the king of Jericho knew her, maybe professionally or whatever. He knew where she was, knew where she lived. But there are a lot of things we don't know about this woman that they call Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute. We don't know how she got into that profession. We don't know anything about her family background. We don't know her religion except for the fact that initially she was not a follower of the God of the Bible. And we don't know if she was hungering for a better life when the two spies first came to her house. And all of that makes uh, the following fact even more startling. The Bible mentions Rahab the harlot as a hero of faith. And I know that some people, when the first time we heard that story, they went, whoa, what are you, what, say that again? <laughs> Rahab the prostitute is a hero of faith. What kind of faith are you talking about? Well, she made the Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11. Just think about that list for a moment. Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, and boom, Rahab. There she is, right there. And if you go on and keep on reading, you're going to find David, Samuel, and all of the prophets. That means Rahab was in pretty good company. She's up there with the guy who built the ark, Noah, uh, the father of faith with Abraham, uh, the man who led the Jews out of Egypt, that was Moses, uh, the sweet singer of Israel, that would be King David. And she's up there with Isaiah, Jeremiah, Daniel, all of the great heroes of the Old Testament. So if ancient Israel would have had a Mount Rushmore, maybe a Mount Sinai, if you will, she would have been on it. I don't know about you. I've spent so much time with Rahab this week. That sounds terrible, I know. But I've spent so much time with Rahab in the last couple of weeks that if you think about it, in one fell swoop, God reaches down and rearranges all of our neat little categories we have about people like Rahab. See, in our mind, if we were rearranging things, we would have uh, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then we'd have a really big gap before we got to Rahab and then Joseph and Moses and David. Now, why would we put this big gap in there? Because we don't want really great men of the Bible to associate with Rahab. We can't let prostitutes get too close to honest-to-goodness, godly men of Scripture. But I'm here today to remind you of something, and that's that God's evaluation of people is really different than our own evaluation of people. See, when the Bible tells the story, it makes no attempt whatsoever to cover up her past. Five times she's called a prostitute. She's truly a scarlet woman. There's another word you've heard before. Her reputation will follow her until the day she dies. 
Now, choices have consequences. We all know that. All of us have made choices in our lives. Some of them have been pretty stupid. I mean, I could go back, and I'm going back next week to celebrate my 60th anniversary from graduating from high school. I wouldn't begin to want to tell you some of the stupid stuff four guys known as the Rat Pack did. My wife knows a little, but I've sworn her to secrecy. But choices have consequences. you got to remember, like Peter, he denied Jesus. We had Judas who betrayed Jesus, and then we recall that Rahab was a prostitute. I don't know if you got that word. She was a prostitute, but through the grace of God, this fallen sinner became a child of God. Before you became a child of God, what were you? Well, the answer is not a prostitute, although we could probably make the case of prostituting yourself to the things of this world. But until God called you and you said, I want to be a part of that, your life changed. Everything began, became different. But I want to take you back into the Bible. It's good to understand, for her, Rahab, this is kind of a hopeless beginning. In a couple of reasons, I don't know if these will be up on the screen or not, but she was a woman in a world in which women were often mistreated, devalued, and taken for granted. Now, some of you say, well, hey, not much different today. Well, maybe. Uh, so how remarkable, then, that whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, we don't really know who that is, should choose only two women to highlight in this chapter. The two women are Sarah, who was the wife of Abraham. The other one was good old Rahab. So by including a couple of women in this list, the writer wants us to know that the ground is level at the cross and that even in the degraded age that this woman found herself living, she could still be included in the family of God. Here's the second thing by part of her hopeless beginning. She was a prostitute. I mean, she was. I mean, the fact that she was only magnifies the grace of God. You know, there but for the grace of God go I. Maybe you've heard that said before. See, God is demonstrating that no matter where you began, he has a better ending for you. See, grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense, if you want an easy way to remember what that means, is for sinners. I'm here today that say, welcome sinners. Lou, here we are. <laughs> sinners alike. Grace is here today for people like Lou. And Linda and Nancy. Well, we go all the way around the room. Grace is here for all of us, and only sinners need to be saved. So, well, guess what? Rahab is kind of a beacon of hope for people who are broken. That's why I love this one, because we live in a broken community. We are broken people ourselves. Uh, we are hurting people. We are people who have been bruised by life. We've been bruised because of some, some dumb choices you and I made somewhere along the way. And, and sometimes we are prone to look in the mirror and say, I'm not sure this is for me. I wish there was hope for me. Now, if any of you feel that way today, that you're feeling somewhat hopeless, then you need to consider what Rahab was. And at this very moment, what Rahab was, guess where Rahab is today? She's in the very presence of Jesus in heaven. And if God can save her... He can save us all. Here's a third part of this. She was a Gentile. She's a foreigner in a pagan religion. She's outside the Jewish faith. 
And as such, she didn't belong to the Israelites. And yet, by faith, she was accepted by God. And when the attack came, she was spared when the city was destroyed. I mean, her life illustrates God's promise made to Abraham way back in Genesis chapter 12. God told Abraham that it was through his descendants, and guess what? She becomes one of his descendants, so that all the nations of the earth would ultimately be blessed. So it was hard for her to believe that, and we can probably imagine many reasons why she might not have believed that. And so certainly she took a big risk when she let those spies that, uh, that Joshua sent into the city come in, and she... she uh, she took a great risk when she refused to tell her own people where these two spies were going. In fact, you read the rest of Joshua. She sent uh, some people from the city of Jericho on a wild goose chase and said, oh, they went back down to the Jordan River. Uh, now, why would she do that? Why would she do that? Well, I think there are two ways to answer that question. And they both kind of lead to the same conclusion. Here's answer number one. If you read Joshua chapter 2, and I'd commend you to go back and read that again, verses 9 to 13, tell us that she and the people of Jericho had already heard these stories about the people of Israel. They already heard that the people of Israel had passed through the Red Sea on what? Not on a, not on a boat, but on dry land. Uh, they'd already heard about the two kings, the two Amorite kings that they'd defeated. They already heard how you know, the Jordan River was actually parting for, for them to come across. I mean, rumors had spread like wildfire about what was going on. But only Rahab, isn't that interesting? Only Rahab in this whole pagan city had the foresight to believe that the Lord himself was at work in all that happened to the Jews. But the question is, where does that foresight come from? Where did Rahab get the general idea that God was on the side of these people who were walking around this city? Well, I believe the eyes of her heart had been opened by the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's the only way you can explain it. She'd never read the scriptures. She really didn't know much other than these two spies that talked about maybe being there for God. But the Holy Spirit impacted her heart so far, so far to even make a provision for her family. It wasn't enough that she gets out of this mess. She wants her entire family to be saved. And when it came time to choose sides, it was kind of like, as for me and my house... <laughs> We will serve the Lord because we've seen what the Lord has done. And if the Lord can do that with the Red Sea and with the Amorite kings, God only knows what he's going to do to this place, and I want to be on his side. Well, if you read on in Joshua chapter 2, she makes provision for her entire family. These are the words in Joshua 2, 12 and 13. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you would show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save me from death. And guess what? There's a remarkable deliverance. The spies agreed to spare her when they came and attacked Jericho if, if she would do something. If she would hang a scarlet cord out of her window by the wall. Now, some people would read that and they go, well, couldn't it have been any old cord? But why a scarlet cord out the window? Well, in the chaos of the coming battle, you'd be able to spot that baby hanging out there pretty quick. It could be seen by the enemy, by the army. 
But there's a deeper symbolism here. And I'm not going to call on Joel or Jeff to answer this question because he already knows that he's jumped way into this, into the Old Testament. That scarlet cord reminds us of the blood of the Passover. And know this, the color was no coincidence. I mean, they could have said black or yellow, red or green, but no, red. Scarlet, because it guaranteed her deliverance from sure death, even as the blood of Jesus assures us of deliverance from, from, from death. So as soon as the spies leave, she ties that cord out, drops it over uh, her window so all could see. She had no idea when the attack was going to come. Uh, she just believed in the promise and she acted on it. You may remember a couple of weeks ago we talked about this. One thing to have a belief in something, but it's also better if you you act on that belief. That's where faith comes into this. Now, hearing the truth always needs to move you into action somehow, sooner or later. Rahab, this harlot, this prostitute, this sinful woman who sold her body for money, makes the hall of fame in the Bible. Why? When the chips were down, she believed the promise of God. And she did something. And that simple little scarlet thread saved her life. Now, you may be a bunch of religious people this morning. I'm kind of assuming you are. Otherwise, you'd probably be doing something else like sleeping or going to Bob Evans. I don't know. Uh, You might be a very moral person in the eyes of others. You've got a whole bunch of people fooled as to how moral you are or or whatever. Uh, You're probably not a prostitute. Um, That's an assumption. Uh, You would likely be uh, totally embarrassed if you were classified as one, if the pastor came in the morning and said, welcome all you prostitutes, uh, you'd be, oh, hold it. <laughs> Maybe I'll go someplace else this morning. And yet you may not wind up as well off as Rahab. You may hear the gospel over and over and over again, and yet never do anything about it. You may believe that the blood of Christ can forgive your sins, You may even be a member of some church or missional community somewhere, but until you have faith in Christ personally, Scripture says you're not saved. See, Rahab heard the words. She responded by tying that scarlet cord over her window, and in a manner of speaking, you and I need to do that all the time too. It's not just hearing the Word of God. Blessed are they hear the Word of God and believe it and trust in it. Hearing and believing to the point that you actually reach out and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, let's go back to the story for a minute. You've got days passing. You've got days passing here. Uh, maybe a week goes by, maybe two weeks. But inside Jericho, life is going on pretty much as normal after the spies left. Uh, but there were two things that were happening that few people knew about. One of them is Rahab is telling her relatives. She says, when the attack comes, feet don't fail me now. Get to my place and you'll be safe. And so Rahab becomes one of the first female evangelists in the Old Testament. She's out there going to tell people the good news of what this God is about to do in people's lives. The second thing is, Joshua leads the people of Israel across the Jordan and starts heading uphill to this city we talked about last week, Jericho. And this caused the people of Jericho to do what? Slam the gates shut. We know that 
you know, there are a series of walls up an incline. We know they had a spring in there. They know the fall harvest. These guys will just shut the gates. We'll be good for the next two to three years. But we know what happened next because, well, we heard about it last week. Joshua fit the battle of Jericho. And how did that song end? And the walls came a-tumbling down. And when the walls fell down, the people of Jericho were absolutely defenseless. The Jews attacked, and at God's express command, they killed everything in the city. Men, women, young, old, cattle, donkeys, total slaughter by the children of Israel, absolute annihilation. It was holy war, nothing left of the city because they actually then burned what was left to the ground. Except for Rahab and her family. See, when the soldiers saw the scarlet cord in her window, they spared her and everybody who happened to be there with her. So they kept the promise that the spies had made to her. And so Rahab the harlot and her faith enabled her to reach out and guarantee salvation for her entire family. This is conversion. People changing their life and going another direction. Well, there are two timeless messages then at the end. So I want to take you to two timeless messages. Here's message number one. There is salvation for the worst of sinners. Some of you know an old church song too called Chief of Sinners, Though I May Though I Be. I don't know if I ask the question, I don't want to embarrass anybody, but how many of you would volunteer this morning to say, that would be me? <laughs> I think all of us need to. We've already kind of done that today when we went through the words of brokenness. We've kind of said in the way, Chief of Sinners, here we are, and we are in need of what? We are in need of restoration. See, this story teaches us that no one is beyond God's grace. Even in the midst of judgment, God reaches out to people and saves a prostitute who turns to him in faith. But I think about the number of times that I've ever taught this story over the years. I've never really preached about it that I remember about Rahab. Nancy's concurring. I don't think I have... But I've taught this often enough that I've got questions from people. But Pastor, think about all the guys she slept with. But Pastor, think of all that sin that woman was up to. Think about that stained reputation. I mean, she she doesn't just have a name, she's got an occupation. I said, well, you just did that with me, Pastor Barry. Think of her past. And God says, what? I know all about her past. Doesn't matter. Why not? She believed in me. This is simple. God knows about your past. He knows about my past. And he basically says, it doesn't matter if you believe in him as your Lord and Savior. Uh, We're not going to play this game today, but I'll ask the question. What's your sin? Start up here and Jimmy just go around the room. We'll all name our own sin. (laughs) No, we're not going to play that game today. Now, you might be listening this morning, um, and you kind of feel like maybe you're not really worthy to go to heaven. I, I don't know. But if that's the way you feel at all, I got some really great news for you. Great news is that uh, the people who think they're worthy don't necessarily end up in heaven. People who think they're worthy oftentimes end up in hell. 
So if you've been messing around or fooling around or making one stupid mistake after another, like most of us are prone to do, I've got some really good news for you. Your sin, whatever sin that may be, makes you an excellent candidate for salvation. Remember, if God can save a person like Rahab, he can save anyone, and that includes me. It includes you. And just for the record, I'm here publicly to say I'd rather be Rahab on my way to heaven than be Sally, the Sunday school teacher on the road to hell. Nothing against Sally, the Sunday school teacher. I don't know her. There's a second message here, though, and that's that salvation is through the blood of Jesus. I mean, if Rahab represents a helpless sinner, then that that scarlet cord represents the blood of Jesus. Uh, There is a gospel song. We're going to sing this a little bit later, but it goes this way. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is that flow that makes me white as snow. No, no other fount I know, nothing but the blood of Jesus. One commentator that I, I read in putting this message together said, not only, by, not only faith, but prophecy is found in this woman. And so this is a message of hope for us that she's kind of pa- passing out. And the worse you feel about yourself, the more hope you can find in Rahab. See, there's no pit so deep that God's love cannot reach down deeper still. There is no sin, and we all need to be reminded of this every once in a while, there's no sin so terrible that Jesus cannot forgive that sin. There is no stain that is on your soul that, that, is, that, that is so great and so terrible that God can't remove that. But what if you don't know very much? I mean, I've had people come up to me after church and they said to me, you know, uh, Pastor Barry, I've never been to church before. Uh, I, you know, I kind of know some of the stuff you talked about, but I don't know very much. And I said, well, you know something. You know, we sometimes want to know how much we need to know in order to be saved. Well, we, we could argue that, but since faith is a gift of God, we know this. It's not the amount of faith that you and I have. It's the object of our faith. I don't know much, but I, I, I love Jesus and I love what Jesus did. Now, you may not know the Old Testament like some people. You may not know the New Testament like some people. You may not have read uh, Luther's Confessions. You may not have read all of those kinds of things. But Rahab knew just enough to know that the God of the Israelites was the one true God. And so her faith caused her to welcome the spies and to send them on their way. And her faith, if you will, caused her to hang that scarlet cord out of the window. And in theological terms, Rahab was in spiritual kindergarten. But it doesn't make any difference. She made the book. By faith, Rahab. Got one more thing to say, maybe. What happened to Rahab after the fall of Jericho? Well, let me tell you, this much we know. Rahab married a Jewish man by the name of Salmon. And together they had a son whose name was Boaz, whose name pops up in the book of Ruth. Boaz and Ruth gave birth to Obed, the father of Jesse, 
who was the father of David, who became the king of Israel. How do you get the picture? Hundreds of years later, her name appears on the very first page of the New Testament. Matthew is giving the genealogy of Jesus, and in Matthew chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, there it is again, Solomon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was, oh my gosh, Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Talk about skeletons in your closet, huh? (laughs) Rahab, part of Jesus' family tree. And if you know Jesus, someday when you stand in front of him, he might just introduce you to Rahab. And I have a feeling you're not going to go, oh my gosh, it's Rahab the prophet. No, you're going to go, oh gosh, thank you for your testimony of faith. She will no longer be known as a prostitute or as a harlot. She will be known simply as Rahab, the child of God. We're not going to sing this song, but I'm going to end by calling to mind a sentence from another great gospel song. I wish we sang it today. Uh, Maybe you know the song. It's called, To God Be the Glory. O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood, to every believer the promise of God, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. And may all of us understand that, that our sins, even the worst sins, have been forgiven and pardon has been given and assured.